Fan support for the Clippers remains strong as the team battles the Thunder in the playoffs. But scandal continues to swirl around team owner Donald Sterling. The NBA hopes to force Donald Sterling to sell the Clippers, but his estranged wife, Shelly, owns a 50% stake in the team. She promises to fight to maintain ownership. Fans say the team needs a fresh start. That first night back in the Staples Center for Game 5, hours after Adam Silver banned Donald Sterling, I noticed a couple sitting in the press room. They were an older couple wearing matching red shirts that said Team Shelley on the front. It caught my attention. In all my years of covering the Clippers, I'd never really thought of Shelley as anything more than Donald's wife, the woman who stuck it out with an obnoxious, cheating husband for 60 years. But also, Shelley wasn't exactly a popular figure at the time. Anything associated with the Sterling name was downright toxic. So who were these people brave enough to wear Team Shelly shirts to a hostile arena in the middle of all this? The couple wearing those shirts were Shelly's dear friend, Catherine Bauman, and her husband. My first conversation with Catherine wasn't remarkable in any way. But it did, for the first time, wake me up to the fact that Shelly Sterling was not simply the quiet, stand-by-your-man housewife that I had imagined she was all those years. She was in the middle of a battle herself, and she was not about to go down without a fight. This is episode five, Not Fit. Doc, the commissioner made it clear that he would like ownership to change with this team. Mm -hmm. As uncomfortable as it might be to answer this question, do you think it would be best if Donald Sterling was no longer owner of this team for everyone? Well, I don't think he will be. I, I think that's been clear. I think Adam's made that clear. So I think that's already been decided. And yes, I do think that's the right decision. The next step is where do we go? The Clippers' own coach, Doc Rivers, didn't even know what it meant that Donald was banned, but technically still on the team. Tonight at Staples Center, every penny will still go to him. And in the foreseeable future, every penny will still go to him. So you look at this for the players, and they say Donald Sterling can't come around to anything. You know what that really changes for their day-to-day? -day? Nothing, because Donald Sterling is still going to be the one that's out here getting paid. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver wanted to take the team away from Sterling. The faster he moved, the better the chances of that actually happening. The fans and the public were squarely on his side. He needed the pressure of their outrage to back him up. Because when it came down to it, whether or not Sterling got to keep his team was on the other owners. You are members of a very select fraternity, and Donald Sterling is a member of your fraternity. And you are either silently endorsing him or you are publicly rebuking him. And that's what will actually make this change. The other 29 owners, 28 of whom are other rich white guys, need to do something now. They should already have. A lot of these same owners are the ones that kept him in year after year after year when we knew all the racial stuff was going on out here. The problem is, those other owners were guys who also have said plenty of things in private they wouldn't want to be held accountable for in public. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban was the first to voice his unease. What Donald's done within the confines of the NBA, Adam will deal with that within the Constitution of the NBA, and I'm all for him taking those steps. But in terms of, should we kick him out and go outside of the Constitution? Should we start taking steps to condemn people for what they say in the privacy of their own home that just happens to be recorded? 
That's a slippery slope I don't want to get on. If there were other owners concerned about that slippery slope, Donald Sterling might still have a chance. All he needed was seven owners to vote to keep him in. And then Donald went on TV. I sat down with the embattled L.A. Clippers owner in his Beverly Hills home for a no-holds-barred interview. There were no ground rules, nothing was off-limits, and there was no PR entourage telling him what to say and when to stop. These are Sterling's words and his alone. Donald Sterling hadn't given a sit-down interview in nearly 15 years. The last time he'd done one, in April of 2000 for Sports Illustrated, he landed on the cover as the man responsible for the worst franchise in the history of sports. And now, here he was, giving an interview to Anderson Cooper on CNN. Two weeks had passed since TMZ published that tape, and Donald hadn't said a word, not even after Adam Silver banned him for life. Millions of people tuned in to see what he would say, myself included. I'm not a racist. I made a terrible, terrible mistake. And I'm here with you today to apologize and to ask for forgiveness for all the people that I've hurt. And I've hurt so many people, so many innocent people. And I've hurt myself. It was as bizarre of an interview as anything I have ever seen. At times, talking about his mistress, V. Stiviano, he was weepy and distraught. Perhaps she's made some mistakes. I thought she cared for me. I was stupid. How could a girl care for a man? 51 years old. <laughs> she didn't, or she wouldn't have released those tapes. But she's not a bad person, you know. At other times, he was defiant. For a lot of people, though, these comments that were caught on tape do echo other charges that have been made in the past, as you know, by Elgin Baylor in other lawsuits. That no, 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 no. You're trying to connect them. No, I'm not. Elgin I, Baylor has nothing to do with, with what the things I said 20 years later. Well, what did it have to do? Well, Elgin Baylor made a claim that you had a plantation mentality, and well, then now in this in this thing, you're saying you feed these guys. You, I think you, you have more of a, a a plantation mentality than I do. You know what? It's, and I think you're more of a racist than I am I'll because say. I'm not a racist, and I've never been a racist. I'll never be a racist. I don't know what that means to have a mentality. You're asking me about questions. What do you mean a mentality? He had started by saying he was there to apologize and then kept categorically denying he'd done anything wrong. In a moment where he could have tried to redeem himself, Donald Sterling instead doubled down on his strange vendetta against Magic Johnson. What has he done? Can you tell me? Big Magic Johnson, what has he done? Well, he has, he's a business person. He, uh, he's got AIDS. Did he do any business? I like, did he help anybody in South L.A.? Well, I think he has HIV. He doesn't actually have full-blown AIDS. But. Uh, well, what kind of a guy goes to every city, has sex with every girl, then he catches HIV? And uh, Is that someone we want to respect and, and tell our kids about? I think he should be ashamed of himself. I think he should go into the background. But what does he do for the black people? Of all the guys in basketball, past and present, Magic Johnson was pretty universally adored. Well, I was just, I was blown away. I was, uh, I couldn't believe that he had said those things. But what people watching that interview at home didn't know was that Donald had helped Jerry Buss launch Showtime. How he'd watched Jerry and Magic form a bond. 
how being beloved and being lauded for the way he gave back to his community, the way Magic Johnson was, that that was all Donald Tokowitz had ever wanted. All those times Donald Sterling had bought himself awards or outright lied about donations he never made, Magic Johnson's success was real. The respect he earned was real. The money he gave back to his community was real. You know, first of all, 22 years ago, I announced that I did have HIV. And I came out like a man, you know, I told the world. And I hope that I was able to help people in doing that. And I think I did. And then we've given away over $15 million, my foundation. I've done a lot of work in the HIV and AIDS community. I mean, he, he made love to every girl in every city in, in America, and he had AIDS. And when he had those AIDS, I went to my synagogue and I prayed for him. I hoped he could live and be well. If he'd meant to exonerate himself in that interview, Donald Sterling had failed in every way imaginable. Any remaining question about what kind of man he was had been answered. There was no saving Donald from the court of public opinion anymore. The owners were not going to vote to save him after this. His fate was sealed. If Shelly was going to survive and hold on to this team, she was going to have to save herself. It became clear that the NBA, and the commissioner in particular, were moving so fast that she was going to be roadkill. They were so far ahead, and it's like, we're done, this is over. She's going to be toast just like he is. Shelley's public relations consultant, Glenn Bunting, realized they needed to act quickly. And so I came up with the idea of Barbara Walters. What is your relationship today with your husband? We're estranged. We've been estranged for about a year. Like her husband, Shelley Sterling never gave interviews. She's been married to this man for 58 years, married at 21. And she now has to stand up for herself because she's going to take on the league. She's going to take on this PR nightmare. And she's never done an interview because she's always been behind the scenes. It was time for Shelley to step out of the shadows and insert herself into the narrative. Her main objective seemed to be to distance herself from the dumpster fire that was her husband, Donald Sterling, and assert her independence. She even waved a petition for divorce in front of the camera. Will you divorce your husband? <laughs> for the last 20 years, I've been seeing attorneys for a divorce. Really? And on and off and on and off. And in fact, I signed the petition for a divorce. And it came to almost being filed. And then my financial advisor and my attorney said to me, not now. What was the last straw that made you say, after all these years, I'm out of here? This last few weeks was the worst. And I just couldn't take any more. It was a masterstroke. Shelley came across as the loyal wife, betrayed by a cheating husband and his much younger mistress. In just one interview, she'd gone from toxic co-conspirator to sympathetic victim. And she was subjecting herself to this very public humiliation, she said, because she was fighting for her rights and her team. Mrs. Sterling, you own 50% of the LA Clippers. Well, there are reports that the NBA wants to oust you completely as a team owner. You will fight that decision? I will fight that decision. I think half the team is mine, and I'll fight for it. <laughs> 
It was a nice sentiment, but her lawyer, Pierce O'Donnell, already knew his client didn't have much legal ground to stand on. I'd had a couple hours to read the NBA Constitution and bylaws. And I go, whoa, looks like the NBA could do whatever the hell they want here. The NBA didn't want to negotiate with Donald Sterling's wife, but it also couldn't afford not to. Adam Silver was in a precarious position. He would need three quarters of the NBA owners to approve taking the team from Sterling. And even if he got those votes, there would likely be a long, ugly legal battle with Donald. It would be cleaner, much cleaner, if there was a way for the league to work with her to sell the team before the owner's vote ever took place. So Adam Silver listened to what Pierce had to say. After some pleasantries, I take over and I say, look, Adam, um, we really want to try to resolve this and not have a public bloodletting. It's not going to be good for the NBA and it won't be good for Shelley. I have a proposal. That proposal? Let Shelley negotiate the sale of the team and then let Shelley handle Donald. To say he jumped at the idea would be an understatement. I was on perilously thin legal grounds. I, I say that now candidly. But the NBA, did, they probably knew it, but whatever. Uh, you know, I'm a blustering Irishman, trial lawyer, so what the hell. But I was thrilled at the outcome of that meeting. On May 19th, Adam Silver filed charges to terminate Donald Sterling's ownership of the Clippers and officially set a vote for June 3rd. In the meantime, Pierce's blustering worked. Between now and that vote, he and Shelley had 12 days to find a buyer. I was like, what the fuck? I got to sell a basketball team? And I'd never sold a basketball ticket, much less a basketball team. Luckily for them, there was already a lot of interest. Bids came in immediately. Oprah Winfrey faxed in her bid from the set of the movie Selma. Former Clippers player Grant Hill put in a bid. But then Shelly Sterling got a call that changed everything. <laughs> it was really funny because I got a phone call at 7 in the morning. On a Friday morning, early, like 7-ish, her phone rings, her cell phone. And she kind of groggily, you know, grabs the phone and says, hello. And some man's on the phone, and he's telling me his name. I can't even understand what he's saying. I'm Steve Ballmer. I'd like to fly down from Seattle to meet with you. He says, I want to buy the team. And I said, okay. So he says, uh, when can I meet you? I says, well, I have a few interviews today. Uh, how about tomorrow at 3 o'clock? He says, I'll be there. And he hung up, and I went back to sleep. She wakes up later and calls a friend of hers. She's like, do you know who Steve Ballmer is? And she says, dummy, Steve Ballmer. I said, oh, okay, now I know who it was. I love this company, yes! Steve Ballmer had just retired as the CEO of Microsoft. He was worth an estimated $20 billion and had recently lost a bid to buy an NBA team. So he was highly motivated to close this deal. The Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, Steve flies in. On his private plane, walks in promptly at 3 o'clock, and he says, okay, I want to buy the team. How much do you want? And I had originally told my attorney what I wanted, 1.6 to 2.0. Billion. Uh, yeah, billion. <laughs> Not dollars. <laughs> uh, 
So I says, well, this is what I'd like. And so he says, well, what have you been offered so far? I says, well, pretty close to it. He says, I'll give you 1.9. I says, I really want 2.0. Then he came back and he said, okay, it's a deal. Write up the papers. Two billion was a staggering number. Balmer beat out Oprah and the rest of the bidders by hundreds of millions of dollars. The last NBA franchise to be sold, the Milwaukee Bucks in April of 2014, had sold for $550 million, just weeks before this whole scandal blew up. Shelley Sterling got Steve Ballmer to give her more than three and a half times that, all for a franchise that was in crisis. Shelley even got all her special requests, her two courtside seats for the rest of her life, additional seats for her friends, parking, food for her and her guests, access to the VIP club, three rings if the Clippers ever win a championship during her lifetime, and the title owner emeritus. Shelly's thrilled, okay? But I have a problem. Donald has to sign off. It was a condition from Steve Ballmer in the NBA. Either Donald has to sign off on the sale, or a court has to approve Shelly's authority to sell the team. Pierce and Shelly would have to go to Donald and his lawyers with less than a week to close the sale before the Board of Governors vote on June 3rd. Hope for the best, plan for the worst. So I'd already had six lawyers in the firm working out plan B. A backup plan in case Donald pulled a Donald and tried to scuttle the deal. Pierce and his team had planned for this, though. There was a provision in Donald and Shelley's family trust that could completely turn the tables. If two doctors specializing in mental health certify that he lacks the capacity, mental capacity, to function as a trustee of a multi-billion dollar empire, that trustee is removed. But Pierce couldn't put the plan together unless Shelley Sterling agreed. And it was a hell of an ask. I'm telling you, she was crying at night. It was very, very difficult for her. But ultimately, Shelley agreed and told Pierce to start preparing plan B and hope they wouldn't have to resort to it. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. On the grounds that she was concerned for her husband's mental state after his disturbing interview with Anderson Cooper, Shelley made an appointment for Donald with a neurologist named Dr. Merrill Platzer. Platzer was examining Donald when Bobby Samini showed up for what he thought was a job interview to be Donald's lawyer. I walked into the house in Beverly Hills. When I got there, I went in and I was told, oh, he's in the next room meeting with somebody and he knows you're here. He'll be there in a minute. Um, after about five or ten minutes, I went in, sat down, introduced myself. She introduced herself. And then ultimately we determined that, oh, she's here doing this evaluation. She was there to evaluate Donald for dementia. Donald knew it. Shelley knew it. The man interviewing to become Donald's lawyer knew it. This was done in broad daylight. And so after the interview, she says, Mr. Sterling, I want to tell you my diagnosis based on my testing and my observation of you. Um, you have a form of dementia uh, known as early Alzheimer's. Donald said, thank you. I'm hungry. Let's go to lunch. That was Donald's reaction. They got the second diagnosis that Donald had dementia from a renowned geriatric psychiatrist at UCLA, Dr. James Spar, three days after Platzer's initial diagnosis. They had the two diagnoses in their back pockets as they negotiated with Steve Ballmer. Like Pierce said, plan B. When they got the sale agreement with Steve Ballmer figured out, they gave Donald the chance to do this the easy way, to sign off on the sale that Shelley had negotiated. We get him on the phone, and Donald launches into a tirade. I can get more money for the team. What the fuck? There was a lot of fuck yous. And I'm not selling this team. It was time to implement Plan B. Pierce O'Donnell had a letter ready to send to Donald's lead attorney, Max Bleacher, the same lawyer who had saved Donald from getting kicked out of the NBA back in 1984. Dear Max... Please find and close the reports of Dr. Platzer and Dr. Spar, both of whom have concluded that Donald lacks the capacity, pursuant to Section 3.9, whatever it is, of the Sterling Family Trust, amended last December. Donald is hereby removed. No one on Donald's team saw this coming. In his prime, Max Bleacher had been a legal lion. But he was in his 80s now. Bobby Samini had barely been hired and was still getting caught up on the case. The funnier part was that I don't really know anything about sports. And it was already too late to do much about it. They tried in vain to find a big prestige law firm to partner with. But no one wanted to touch Donald Sterling. No one wanted to stake their reputation as the firm that defended that old racist. Donald looked to me and said, the cavalry is not coming. It had been 30 years since Donald and Max Bleacher had teamed up to take on the NBA. The first time, the league tried to revoke his ownership after he moved the Clippers to L.A. without permission. But the world had changed since then, even if Donald himself had not. And now here he was, the deal guy who always got the best deal, getting outmaneuvered at every turn by his own wife. Pierce and Shelley maintained that with two experts providing a diagnosis of dementia, Shelley was empowered to remove Donald from the trust. Ownership of the Clippers would then lay in Shelley's hands. She alone had the authority to sell the team, and she exercised that authority. 
So we had no alternative. I gave my word to Steve. I have to go through with it. I don't want them to dismantle the team. And the players didn't want to play. So I signed it. I gave them my word. And as far as I knew, it was done. I mean, that was very hard for me to do. I remember learning that this is how Shelley had sold the team. It was being reported there was an agreement to sell the team for $2 billion. But no details. Something was up. So I started asking all the bid groups what was going on. They told me they'd been assured Shelley had the authority to sell the team without Donald's consent. That he'd been found mentally incompetent and removed from the trust. What? My jaw dropped. I remember sitting in my car downstairs from our TV studio in Los Angeles and calling the head of our news desk, David Kraft. My hands were shaking as I typed out the story and read it back to him. I told him, we now had three sources on this, that I was confident it was accurate, that no one, not even Shelley's side, was denying it. But I still couldn't believe it. After 60 years of marriage, after a lifetime of putting up with her husband's affairs and indiscretions, Shelley Sterling was selling the team out from under him in the most painful public way by getting him declared mentally incompetent? It was so cold-blooded. Such a power move. I couldn't believe this little old lady with the Chanel bag had it in her to do it. But her old friend Marlene Selzman knew she did. Once he's declared incompetent and she's in charge, then she's in charge. That was very smart on her part. I mean, that was so very smart. I was going against my husband who wouldn't talk to me. My kids didn't like too much what I was doing. And I didn't know if I was doing the right thing. If I thought there was the least amount of chance that we could own it, I would have stuck with it. But I didn't see any chance. The team was like gonna be sold at auction and they would get a piece of it or something. But Chile's too smart. She goes for that last nickel in the asphalt. <laughs> Monday, 3.15 p.m. from an outside caller. I'm leaving my name, Donald Sterling, and I'm going to have you lose your license. How dare you give my medical records from my head to a law firm who hired you? They hired you for the purpose of finding me incompetent. I'm not incompetent. You're fucking incompetent, you stupid fucking doctor. How dare you? I want to Donald Sterling was livid. He called Dr. Platzer and Dr. Spar. Why would you give my, my personal mental records to, another, to a lawyer for the purpose of suing me? I'm just so excited. That I'm so angry. I'm so... Uh, I'm going to call UCLA now. And I'm going to get you fired from UCLA because you're nothing but a tramp. Have your insurance company call me. My name is Donald Sterling, in case you forgot. And if you look at your bill, you see that your material was addressed to a lawyer. So obviously he sent me to you and you agreed to the conspiracy to do this. Thank you very much, doctor. Donald directed his lawyers to sue the NBA for $1 billion in damages. Then he directed them to revoke the trust 
the one that Shelley had already removed him from. But it was too late. Donald finally realized his back was against the wall. Shelley had sold the team and indemnified the NBA against any lawsuit he brought against the league. In other words, even if Donald prevailed in his $1 billion lawsuit against the NBA, the Sterling Family Trust would pay the damages, which meant Donald was effectively suing himself. There was only one place for him to fight and one person left for him to fight with, Shelley. And within six weeks, right after the 4th of July weekend, they all ended up where everything with Donald and Shelley eventually ends up, in court. So we go to trial. It's a shit show. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. I'm not exaggerating. There's 40 print reporters, radio people, television people, and we're walking in and they're literally surrounding us. And like some of the cameramen are backing up like dominoes or bowling pins. One of them tripped on a trash can and knocked about three of them down. Okay. <laughs> I was one of those reporters outside the courthouse in downtown Los Angeles. The place has seen its share of big trials over the years. O.J. Simpson, Michael Jackson's doctor, Phil Spector. This was right up there in terms of fanfare. Donald's lawyers tried to argue that he wasn't mentally incapacitated. Shelley's lawyers said that was irrelevant because they had followed the trust and found two doctors who said that he was. But the whole thing came down to a random piece of probate code. Probate code section 1310B. Adam Streisand was Steve Ballmer's lawyer. Barely anybody even knows. There are like no cases. And it basically says the probate judge has the power to authorize the trustee to take actions to avoid imminent harm and loss to the trust, even if they appeal. You know, Shelley's lawyers, you know, I never heard of 1310B, but this sounds great. He's not the only person who found that provision, but that's okay. Um, remember, <laughs> remember this, success has many parents and failure is an orphan. This is about as exciting as probate court is ever going to get. All of us reporters in the courtroom were live tweeting the play-by-play. -play. I called Donald first, and Bert stands up. Pierce chose Bert Fields, a legendary entertainment lawyer with a reputation for making the most powerful men in Hollywood squirm, to question an angry and defiant Donald. Ten minutes later, Donald was crying, absolutely crying. And then Donald starts attacking Bird Fields. What a stupid question. A first-year law student would ask a question better than that. And, of course, I'm sitting there loving it because this guy's un unraveling in front of the, the judge, you know, making it clearer and clearer that the determination of the two doctors was correct. It only took him about 10 minutes. At one point, as Shelley was leaving the stand, Donald said to her in open court, Get away from me, you pig. And the courtroom is stunned. And Judge Alana says, I want the record to reflect that when Mrs. Sterling walked over to her husband after she left the stand, he called her a pig. Now, that was the news of the day. It was very sad, okay, because Donald just wasn't with it. He was confused. He was angered. He came to court in sweat pajamas and socks with bedroom slippers on, and he just never looked good. Towards the end of the trial, the lawyers decided Steve Ballmer and Donald Sterling should meet. So Donald's lawyer, Bobby Samini, helped to arrange a meeting, a sort of last-ditch effort to help Donald accept the inevitable. Sterling looks to him and he's like, hey, uh, you're in the computer business, right? 
And Bomber says, yeah, I mean, kind of, you know. And he's like, what's the name of your company again? And Bomber, you know, chuckles and he goes, Microsoft? And Sterling goes, oh, yeah, 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 I know those guys, you know. And I tell you, I watched this meeting and I heard some of the funniest things I'd ever heard. So at one point, uh, after the first hour, Donald tells Steve Ballmer, you know, like, I just, I'm curious about one thing. And Ballmer's like, of course, you know, what, what, this is the question. And he looks at him and he goes, you really have $2 billion? And of course, we all started cracking up, right? And Ballmer says, yes. And he goes, do you have $2 billion in cash? And he goes, I have the money. Don't worry. You know, I can call the bankers and they can verify the funds. And then Sterling starts laughing and he looks at him. He goes, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And Ballmer looks at him and goes, what do you mean? He goes, why would anybody have $2 billion in cash? Like, you should invest the money or pay off your debt, right? But you'd be stupid to have that kind of cash. Donald Sterling still felt like he knew it all. But Steve Ballmer reflected the future of the NBA, tech money. And Sterling was a dinosaur with outdated values. It was like sitting there and watching the change of the guard, right? The old guard and the new guard. This just in, a judge has ruled against Los Angeles Clippers owner Donald Sterling and cleared the way for the $2 billion sale of the team to ex-Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer. The ruling is Shelly Sterling won. She sold the Clippers to Steve Ballmer for a record $2 billion. What had long been regarded as the laughingstock of the NBA had sold for more money than any team ever had. Shelly Sterling took questions from reporters on the steps of the courthouse after the judge gave his ruling. I want to thank everybody who has helped me, my attorneys, they were fabulous. And this is going to be a good thing for the city, for the league, for my family, for all of us. And I just want to thank you all. She opened up like a flower. Like that flower that opens only once a year. All I want to do now is get some sleep. <laughs> I haven't slept in weeks. You mean you don't like going to court? <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and we want to go forward understanding that it was one woman who stood up against her husband, who had the courage to go to court, and she prevailed. At the time, I was right there with Pierce. I thought Shelley really had broken with Donald. For good. But Shelley still felt like she had unfinished business. Not with Donald. With V. The mistress who wanted too much, who took Donald's generosity for granted, who broke the rules of the mistress code. I mean, he paid her life. He gave her cars, put them in her name. Why would somebody try to ruin a person who's so good to you? It's not that different from the way Donald saw his players. I'd support them and give them food and clothes and cars and houses. Who gives it to them? Does someone else give it to them? Donald and Shelley expected a certain loyalty and gratitude from those who somehow benefited from their wealth. And when she released that tape, they didn't just break the rules of the mistress code. She took a match to the whole thing. If you weren't supposed to flaunt the affair in front of the wife, you most definitely were not supposed to flaunt it in front of the whole world. Make it the top story on the evening news. But it thrust V into the public eye, and she loved the attention. Nobody wanted to go to the Clippers. No one even knew the Clippers existed until I came into the franchise. Oh! oh! 
She's like, they owe me everything. Feast of the auto, bringing the heat. And it's not only that. It was prior to bringing the heat and the scandal. It's more like, let's change it up. Let's switch it up and let's do this. Let's bring Chris Paul. Let's bring Blake Griffin. I love Blake. Let's start spending some money. Let's start acting like we actually do care. Let's give LA a reason to look forward to basketball again. And look at us now. Yeah. Yes. I think she liked to be in the public eye. A lot. And uh, as, you know, you could see by the visor she was wearing <laughs> and, you know, all the shenanigans that would happen, you know, it was because she liked to be in the public. I, I guess most people do. Mac Nehere was V's lawyer through all of this. For her, it was just like, uh, you know, it was like an aphrodisiac. You know, she was just like so happy. And, you know, and I told her, V, you know, in this country, it's only last 15 minutes, you know, not more than that. You know, the, the media will find somebody else, you know, and more exotic than you in a few months. Uh, but she says, you know, I can't write it for a few months. V got her 15 minutes of fame and not much more. The general public was pretty quick to forget about her, but not Shelly. I want Shelly to know that you bought me a house. No. Why not? Why don't you? Because she's going to be hassling you all the time. Shelly had won her lawsuit against Donald. She'd come out $2 billion ahead. But she still pressed forward with her lawsuit against V for all those gifts Donald had given her. She was going to get her revenge on the woman who had so disrupted their lives. And thanks to V, she also had a whole bunch of tapes. You think I can hide the house? <laughs> How do we hide it? We should have put it under Lucy's name. She doesn't owe anyone anything. No one knows who Lucy is. But it's okay. We can. Has, has, the, has the escrow closed? Yes. It's been recorded. Mm-hmm. And it's recorded, huh? Mm-hmm. I can always change title. You can always what? I can always change title whenever. It's not easy to change title because people ask, how did you first buy it? Those tapes provided proof that Donald and V had hid the gifts from Shelley. In April 2015, a judge ordered V. Stiviano to return $2.6 million worth of gifts to Shelley. Shelley won again. Shelly Sterling, as proud as she is of what she did for the Clippers, is much prouder about what she did in the Stiviano case. And still, even that was not enough. Shelly could not and would not let it go. And you're in love with me. And you're in love with me. I hear it over and over and over all the time. Shelly hears it over and over. Because she still listens to those tapes. Bring him here. Feed him. F*** him. I don't care. Nothing wrong with minorities. They're fabulous. Fabulous. Why are you saying these things? To upset me? I listen to him all the time. Shelly Sterling is in her mid-80s now. She still drives herself from Malibu into town several times a week. Town, of course, meaning Beverly Hills. And when she gets into her Mercedes-Benz station wagon, she still sometimes puts those tapes on. 
I think it's important that you and I go in front of the world. You care about me. You love me. You care about me. I'm your little girl. I'm your little princess, the way you used to tell me that I was. Why would you do that? I don't know. Maybe punishing myself. See, I want to give you everything. Do you understand that? I would rather give you the cash, but that's not going to make you happy. That's why I have to buy you that car, because you're stubborn and you're pushy, and I love you so much. And not only do I want that car, I want... I want a new camera. When you listen to them, what do you hear? I hear this horrible person who had no nothing going in her life but the wonderful things that my husband had done for her. Just slap him in the face. I'm sure it still stings her the way Vistiviano caused them so much trouble. You can hear it in her voice that it does. But I also suspect, when she listens to those tapes, she's really trying to understand the other voice, her husband's. I don't know why he did it, but he did it. All these years, all these battles, all these affairs, V wasn't the first. It's doubtful she'll be the last. And it's not clear she's even gone from Donald's life. Shelley may be interested in why V could have treated Donald that way, but... I bet Shelly is far more curious about why Donald treats her the way he does. Well, he denies everything, you know, as a man denies. So, you know, did I want to split up my life or did, you know, I mean, did Hillary Clinton leave Bill after this big scandal? You know, sometimes you just take it and just overlook it. I reached out to Donald Sterling, but he wouldn't do an interview. He hasn't done any in-depth interviews since that Anderson Cooper sit-down five years ago. Both he and Shelley seem nervous about what he might say. He says, I don't want to be interviewed by anybody ever, ever, ever. You know, we're all trying to get over it and just go on from here. That's all. Five years ago, I really believed Shelley when she said she'd broken from Donald. I thought for sure everything had changed for them. I mean, how couldn't it have? His mistress had outed him as a racist. She'd had him declared mentally incompetent and sold the team out from under him. He called her a pig in court. What kind of marriage survives all that? A year later, I went out to their house in Malibu for a follow-up piece. We did the interview in her kitchen. There were flowers on the table. At the end, I asked who they were from, and she said, Donald sent them for Mother's Day. Where are you and Donald now? Mm, We're together. We were separated for a while, and my life went on, his life went on. I'm a very self-sufficient person, so I don't depend on a person to make me happy. I make my own happiness. So how did Donald get you back? We were always pretty much friends after all this happened. And then um, we just, you know. Over 60 years, they've become almost everything to each other. He loves Shelley. He'll never want to separate from her. He really does love her. 
Who takes him to the doctor's appointment? Who makes sure he has his medications? Who makes sure the maid shows up at his house? Who tries to protect him from countless mistresses and con men? It's Shelley. He could not live without her. I know he loves me, you know, and he'll never divorce me. It's like two people with their backs to each other, holding each other up. If one lets go, the other one falls down. They hold each other up. Shelley Sterling loves Donald, and I've always said, on his deathbed, there will be one person for sure next to him holding his hand, and it'll be Shelley. She loves the guy. If you look at Shelley and Donald's lives now, not much has changed. They sort of settled back into the uneasy balance that they'd existed in for all those years before V. Stiviano came along. Shelley still goes to Clipper games. The only difference is Donald can't. And I love the games and I enjoy them and I sit there and I scream and I yell, just like I did before. Go to the hoop. And they're a hell of a lot richer. He's happy about selling the team now. Yes, he tells a lot of people. He says, you know, I had to sell the team, but I feel like I fell off a tree and I landed on a pile of gold. At the end of the day, like, they got $2 billion. So is it a win? Is it a loss? I don't know, but we don't have to deal with that anymore, and that's not a part of our league. So for us, yeah, the whole saying rings true. You know, you're so poor, all you have is your money. I, oh, yeah, I mean, I don't feel sorry for Donald Sterling. Some people may say he got the last laugh, but all the money in the world ain't going to change his reputation. His reputation is destroyed. We know who he is. He's made his bed, and you can't take that money with you. Hopefully that was a lesson to be learned that, you know, racism and racist mentality will not be tolerated. It's always a little uncomfortable bringing up Donald Sterling's name to anyone with the Clippers these days. They've moved on, tried to forget he ever existed or had power over them. If they could, they'd write him completely out of their history. The team has changed so much under Steve Ballmer. The league has changed so much. Hell, the whole world has changed so much. It's hard to remember there was ever a time when an owner could heckle his players from his courtside seats or ogle them in the locker room. Things have changed. Even the term owner has gone out of fashion. Adam Silver now calls them governors. The Donald Sterling tape forced a reckoning. The fault line gave. The earth shook and shifted. But earthquakes and reckonings never fix everything. They only release some of the pressure. And it's always only a matter of time until there's another. Another reckoning. You know, we're going to have another one and another one. And we're going to keep getting better, you know. But this was important. And this was a group of guys that stood up too. A league that stood up against something. A commissioner that stood up. Coach stood up. Players stood up. At the end of the day, it was a beautiful moment for our league.
This season of 30 for 30 podcasts produced in association with The Undefeated was reported and hosted by Ramona Shelburne. Our executive producer is Julia Lowry Henderson. Story editors are Aaron Leiden, Raina Kelly, and me, Jody Avergan. Producers Meredith Hadenot, Ryan Kyloth, Stephen Hoffman, and Lauren Gaffney. Archival producer Jason Helig. Associate producer Vin DeAnton. Production assistants Derwin Graham, Eve Wolf, and Jefferson Yen. Production managers Kath Sankey and Jennifer Thorpe. Original music by Hannes Brown. Mix engineering by Hannes Brown and David Herman. Production assistance from Adam Bronstein at ESPN LA Radio. The 30 for 30 podcast team also includes Mitra Kaboli, Andrew Mambo, and Ryan Nantel. Executive producers for ESPN, Connor Shell, Rob King, Libby Geist, and Kevin Merida. Director of development, Adam Newhouse. The ESPN audio team includes Trog Keller, Tom Ricks, Megan Judge, Pete Giannisini, and Ryan Graner. This season was produced in collaboration with Western Sound. The executive producer of Western Sound is Ben Adair. The Western Sound team also includes Cameron Kell and Stephanie Aguilar. Natalie Mead provided fact-checking. Haley Fox did legal research. Counsel for Creators provided legal counsel. Special thanks to Stacey Pressman, Mario Ruiz, Chris Morales, and ESPN LA Radio. Jimmy Kimmel Live, courtesy of 12.05 AM Productions, LLC, and Jimmy Kimmel Live. You can find more about this series at our website, 30for30podcast.com slash sterling. You can also listen to our previous seasons there as well. In the coming weeks, I'll be doing some bonus episodes with Ramona about the making of this season and some of the larger issues that we touched on. If you have any questions, email us 30for30podcasts at ESPN.com. Thanks again for listening. My name is Jody Avergan. We'll be back soon with more 30 for 30. Did you see the movie, The Wife? No, I didn't see it. Oh, you must see it. Okay. She was the ghostwriter. And here her husband took care of the kids, and she wrote all day long. And she he got the Pulitzer Prize. Really? And she's sitting there while he's being honored, da, 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 and she's getting madder and madder and madder because that belongs to her. Is that you? No, <laughs> it's not me.